This is Sunday, May 9th, Mother's Day, and this morning's topic is the mother of the living. Eve was given a title, and we're going to examine that some this morning. Turn to Genesis 2. Y'all wake up too, do whatever. I mean, I know we just have a real powerful worship service and everybody's kind of somber. Are y'all shocked that it's Mother's Day and I'm in Genesis? I'm in Genesis always. It's a good book. It's a good place to start. Very good. In Genesis 2... By the way, don't anybody forget to call your moms today. In Genesis 2, we will start in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. This is off subject, but I I do want you to know, when the Lord communicated this to man, when we think of this story, we think of what they could not do. They could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you think of Christianity, a lot of times you think of all the things that you cannot do. And that tends to be what defines it. That ought not be so. The very first thing that God communicated to man about his code of conduct, about the way that he should live, is you are free to eat from any tree you want to. We need to not focus on all the things that we are not supposed to do. Christianity is defined by the things that we do. You are free to bless people. You are free to love. You are free to act just like Jesus would act. You're free to do anything. You just can't use your freedom to sin. Y'all see that expressed in the New Testament? Well, it started in the Old. The very first things God ever communicated to man was what man was free to do. The Lord God said, this is verse 18, this is going to be pretty much our uh, main point today. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. When we're speaking about Mother's Day, you ought not be a mother without having had a husband. It's not even physically possible to be a mother without having had some gentleman in your life. God said from the very beginning, I mean from the first time the discussion ever comes up in the Bible, when He's looking at a man... It's not good that this guy's alone. I need to make a helper suitable for him. God has that idea in verse 18 of chapter 2 in Genesis. He looks at the man and says it's not good for man to be alone. This is important because every other world religion that you can think of, the emphasis, especially if we're talking about from the East, the emphasis is on the superiority of man over a woman. Women are shamed in almost every way from having to cover themselves in public to not being able to speak, to even the idea of a last name was because you guys would be considered property in many areas of the world. In the Bible, though, the first thing that is said about this relationship as we approach it is, it's not good for a man to be alone. In other words, a man is incomplete without a woman in his life. There's only one exception to that, just one. Do you have any idea what it is? Any other ideas? There is a certain gifting, and it's rare, but there is a certain gifting in a few people's lives, people like Paul, that the Lord can have such an impact on your life and you be so close with Him that the man is not, does not have need of a helper. Paul said it's good if you could be like him, knowing full well that that was not the pattern and that the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of people can't be like him. Because the federal head of the human race, God looked at and said, it's not good for him to be alone. I need to make a helper suitable for him. God had the idea in verse 18 
Verse 19 starts with the word now. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. At first, it seems like that's kind of an aside, huh? God looks at the man and says, it's not good that man be alone. I need to make him a helper. And then Adam's naming the animals. And you think, well, you know, did God have a lapse in his train of thought? When Moses was writing this, did he just decide to throw that in there? God got the idea in verse 18. He, he knew that it needed to be done in verse 18. The next few verses of the animals passing before Adam were so that God could use the creation to give Adam the idea. See, it's not enough for God to know what His will is for your life. He needs to reveal it to you so that the two of you can walk in unity trying to achieve that will. In verse 18, God speaks and says, Hey, it's not good that this guy's alone. That discussion went on in the Godhead. Then in verses 19 and on down, God passes the creation before Adam's eyes so that Adam could get the idea that there was not a suitable helper out there for him. He needed one, but there wasn't one. And he would want God to give him one. He used circumstances to create that desire. If you have a desire for a spouse, if you have a desire for a spouse, it's God's will that you have a spouse. Maybe not today, but it is God's will. If you are married and you ever have the thought creep in your mind, well, maybe I wasn't supposed to get married. It's straight from the pits of hell. If you had the desire, it was because God used the creation around you to create in you that desire because He realized it was not good for you to be alone. Man is not independent of woman, period. Corinthians 11 says it. Uh, Ephesians 5 says it. But more importantly, when the man and the woman are introduced, God says it. It's not good that this guy be alone. So when you think of man being the head of something, because we are going to cover that, don't ever think of him as the head of it alone. Because it's not good that he be alone. He's got to have somebody there to complete him. All right, so the creation passes before Adam. He looks, he sees birds, he sees livestock, he sees all these things. And what do they come in pairs of? Two. Two. The way that nature spoke to Adam was... Everybody here has a second half but me. Everybody out there has got somebody to share their life with except me. So he was willing then, in verse 21, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and that's not literally a rib, it just means side, And closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, or from the man's side. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The reason that it is not... Negative. The reason that it should not be humiliating for a woman to be under a man's leadership is because the two of them together are one person. They're one entity. Do you think that the Jesus submitting to the Father on earth was humiliating? The fact that he was subject to the Father, did that lower Jesus in some way? The fact that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing, did that make him less effective? Did it mean he didn't have a mind to think for himself? Did it mean his potential was limited for the future? Was he proverbial barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen? You know, did no future for his life? (laughs) You know, no, no prospects, just a meaningless existence? He found all of his fulfillment in doing God's will. God's will for a husband and wife according to Genesis, is that they see themselves as one complete unit. That when a man looks at his wife, he sees an extension of himself. 
In fact, this idea is expressed when he says, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He would be half of a person without her. Right? If, he, if she was not there, he would be incomplete. If she was not with him, she would be incomplete. Well, God had intended that when a husband and a wife unite and become one, one entity before God, that the offspring would do something, that they would be godly, that they would create something. That's what we're going to talk about today, the role of a mother. The divine proclamation was given, it is not good for man to be alone. God taught man of his need through nature, through Adam naming the animals as he observed them. And then the woman was made and the proclamation of their uniting was given. Look at verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. There were no fathers or mothers yet. So what's he talking about? There was no father. There was no mother. There were no households to leave. This is the first two people. The proclamation is given, and Moses was writing it, just as Adam saw, just as the woman saw, that they were two halves of the same person, that they were united. People for generations are going to find their other half. They're going, Matt would see Cassidy. Jennifer would see David and go, wow, that's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We were meant to be one. And they would leave everything that was their security. They would leave everything behind them and they would become one. We think of becoming one as a physical act. It's really a spiritual miracle. The Bible goes so far as to describe a husband and wife becoming one as a mystery that is Christ in the church. And we'll get there. Turn to Ephesians. I promise we're going to get to motherhood. I listened to two men yesterday speak of female roles in society. And one spoke about the animal kingdom and said that he thought matriarchal societies worked better, that really women are to be in charge. And I thought, boy, I don't think I've ever heard a guy say that. And began to espouse theories about why that was true. And everything that he said was absolutely correct. He basically ran down the laundry list of why women are superior in some regards. You know, able to empathize, uh, able to use right brain activities. And really gave, gave a, a pretty profound statement of all of the attributes that women have that are very good. What he was missing from his equation that the other gentleman had begun to pick up on because he's in marriage counseling is all of those things are good. It's good that women tend to be more creative. It's good that women tend to be more in touch with their emotions. It's good that women have uh, an innate ability to empathize with a situation. But it's totally incomplete without the other half. And the same is true of men. This abstract thought that evades us, this concrete thinking that is in us, the left brain activities that we're so known for, the mind of an engineer, is totally incomplete without the other. And you think, well, why would one uh, part of the species use mostly one side of the brain and the other part of the species use mostly the other side of the brain? At least that's how it's described. And I said, hello, fellas, that's because you were never meant to be alone. When God began to describe a family, the first thing He did was say, you're not supposed to be alone. We are supposed to have mates that complete us. You're supposed to. And He said, well, I don't yet. It's alright. That's part of the process is you seeing the need, praying, and God bringing it to you. And you don't give up until you get what you're after. I remember watching Matthew pray for his. I already had one. That wasn't, that wasn't a real struggle for me. I already had one. I watched him cry and pray and struggle and little scriptures all over his room and all kind of things. And then she showed up. You know, I didn't get to see Cassidy go through those things, 
But I did get to see them fall in love together. Got to see that. Two halves of one human being. I was at y'all's wedding. I was best man, I think. Wasn't I? Yeah. I got to see a ceremony that before everybody acknowledged what God did, the two of you became one person. You wouldn't anymore ignore half of your body. My right hand does not tell all of the rest of my body what to do. You know, you are one person. You're not divided within yourself. And in a marriage, you can't be either. And there's a good reason for that. Let's look at Ephesians 5. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Everybody stops reading there. That's because preachers are men. The letter does not stop there. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Where do you think Paul got that idea? Well, he's quoting Adam. It's really one of the very first things Adam ever said that's recorded in Scripture. That's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Husbands ought to love their wives just like... You love your own body. And he goes on. He says, He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's quoting Genesis. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We're going to go back to Genesis. But I want to tell you about this profound mystery. Many of you have heard these shadows and kites before. I just want you to reflect on them as we move on to motherhood. The role of a husband and wife is to become one in body and mind and spirit for you to express one will even as Jesus and the Father had one mind and one will I don't like the description of the Trinity in the way that people do it and it's not because I'm a oneness person I don't like the idea of expressing three distinct separate personalities in the Godhead not because it sounds like polytheism which it does not because I don't think that there are three members because there are they don't have distinct, separate personalities because they share one will. See, the Father is the source of everything. The Son and the Spirit are expressions of that will. They were one. Well, as much as a husband and a wife may be separate individuals, you know, the Bible declares you to be one. You ought to be expressing one will, one purpose. And in its very most basic sense in Genesis 3 we find out what that one will is. The, the reason that two become one. We find out what that is. Just as a thought, Adam laid down in a deep sleep and out of his side came something that was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. In a sense, because God laid him down, he purchased that. It came from him. He gave up something to get it. Jesus was raised up, not laid down, but his side was pierced. And out of him came the blood and water that purchased a church. It was not good that Adam be alone. And Jesus came for the purpose of being united. It was not good that he be alone. The head can't be separate from the body. There had to be a body. And that's what we're doing now is grafting in the members of the body. Y'all in Genesis 3? Every world religion that you can think of does not do what the Bible does. The Bible makes a statement right up front. Man is, it, is incomplete without woman. By the time the New Testament writers are writing this, 
woman is absolutely described as equal as man, as co-heirs with Christ. But Judaism expressed it too. Do you know that Bathsheba sat beside Solomon at his throne? And she was not his mother. She's his, I mean, not his wife. She was his mother. What other society can you think of in the world that had a woman sitting on the throne ruling over uh, the whole kingdom during their most golden era of prosperity? It, it didn't happen. Christianity did that for females. And the reason is, in Genesis 3, the entire salvation that we cling to hinges upon a woman. Man cannot be saved without the role of a woman. Man can, has no hope of salvation without the role of a woman. So the Bible from its very beginning lifts up females, though they're weaker in physical stature, to a place of equality with man. You know why that's interesting? Because though we are weaker than the heavenly creatures, our groom, Jesus, is lifting us up to not only a place of equality, but supremacy to all of the heavenly beings. You see, when, when the Bible says there's a profound mystery, I'm talking about Christ in the church, that relationship is mirrored in every way in the natural relationship between a husband and a wife. In Genesis 3, we'll start in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 20. And we're going to end not long after that. I'm not ready to end. I'm just telling you this is where our, our message is going to come from. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And y'all have heard what I've said about that, about bringing into question God's word. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Who ate that first? She did. And then he joined her in it. That's like Jesus who joined us in sin to redeem us out of sin. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. What did man do? Not, we, we've studied this, that he transferred the blame to her. But he also trans, transferred it to God. He said, the woman you put here with me. But do you remember that it was God's idea in verse 18? And that God caused all of the animals to pass before Adam and he named them so that Adam would see a desire and want a wife. This is why it's important that in any relationship, whether it's the P. Rose and the Stevens starting a church or whether it's the Hulls deciding to buy a car or whatever it might be, that both parties hear from, see the need for, and act on God's will together. Because the truth is about human nature, as soon as the moment that there is trouble, one party tends to blame the other one. Well, this is the woman you put here with me. But we know that Adam willingly laid down and, and had her taken out of his side. It wasn't until there was a problem that he wanted to back out, right? Let's keep going. The man said to the woman, uh, said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity 
between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. I finally learned to say that word after 11 years. En- enmity. <laughs> I've always said enmity. <laughs> uh, whatever. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Whose offspring? It's the woman's. It's Eve's. At the same time that death enters the world, and y'all know this because I've taught it, but here's what I want you to get. At the same time death enters the world, the redemptive promise is not given to the man. The responsibility for redemption is not given to the man. It, It was not that Adam would do something and the head of the offspring would be crushed, of the offspring of the serpent. It, Adam doesn't play a role even in this. God says to the serpent that he's going to give the woman seed who will crush the serpent's offspring. Man is the head, but he's not independent of woman. And the very thing that Adam picks up on here that causes mankind to be saved is that women are bearing godly children. And if that were not so, if Eve and the women after her that were righteous had not uh, with power been declared to be the mother of the living, Jesus never would have gotten here. Joseph did not bring about Jesus. I don't mean that he did not sleep with Mary and cause Jesus to come about. I mean that it was not his role or responsibility. And that's really where the heart of this message is today. As slow as this may be going, the fact that one party is subject to another party does not mean that their roles are subject to the other party. I have a function in my workplace. On the corporate ladder, I may fall beneath another department. But the function that I perform there is every bit as essential to the business as anyone else's. If you take one spoke out of the wheel, it weakens the whole wheel. Where women in Christianity and women in Judaism find strength and power is not in the fact that they are women. It's in the fact that they were given a unique role that no other religion in the world acknowledges. They are the very vessels that salvation would come through. You know, the Catholic people understand, no, they don't, that there is some truth in Catholicism's reverence for Mary. It's way out of bounds, but it is because without Mary being obedient, we would not have had Jesus. So when we're celebrating a Mother's Day, we're not celebrating that Cassidy struggled and labored to have two children, that Jennifer did that, that my Jennifer did that. That's not what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that from Eve on, the promise of salvation came through a woman, and women have been laboring to cause this to come about and have been obedient. It's only in our time, I mean only in the last 40 years or so, that it has been unpopular to have children. Why do you think that might be? Why do you think for the first time in history we're seeing decline in birth rates? As the body of Christ's full number comes about, the end comes for the enemy that's held this world in his grip. Because when the last Gentile is saved and the doors open to Israel and the last Israelite is saved, the kingdom of God becomes set up on earth and the prince of the power of error is driven out. That doesn't happen if women don't. Have you all ever wondered what that, that scripture means? Women are saved through childbearing? You know, all the commentaries say it's their Christian women's mortality rates are less in childbearing. That is not true. You are saved in the same hope that Eve was, that through your offspring, the enemy would be crushed. Prior to the cross, you're hoping to produce the Messiah. After the cross, you're hoping to complete the Messiah. Don't ever let the thought go through your mind. You're just a mother. Well, what do I do in my life? I mean, you know, husband goes to work, uh, got this great calling, and I'm just a mother. Motherhood is the foundation of salvation. In fact, let me finish reading this and we'll get there. Between your offsprings and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. 
sometime later, if y'all remind me when we're at a coffee house or something, what he's speaking to Eve, you can see in the life of Israel. Pain in giving birth to children, but it causing a husband to rule over her. Isaiah says, the day when your builder marries you. It's all speaking about this scripture, but we don't want to do that today. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. This is depressing stuff, you would think. Pain and childbearing, a husband ruling over you, working only to become dust and ashes. But we serve a God that will give you beauty for your ashes. And in the midst of all of this trouble, do you know what Adam heard? He had only ever called his wife a woman. He said, man, she looks like a man with a womb. She looks like me, but shouldn't have all the same parts I have. That's literally as deep as that got. Now, when the animals passed before him, it's presumed based on their names today that he named them based on their function. Their names had something to do with not only their appearance, but their function. But to a woman, he just said, Oh, well, you know, this helper God gave me, it's a man with a womb. Until he became aware of her function. But once he became aware of her function, which was to produce the seed that would crush the head of the enemy, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all of the living. She had just been a man with a womb, a helper to him before that. But as soon as he realized her function, he said, My God, you are going to become the mother of all the living. Your function on the planet is to give birth to life. The mother of all the living means those who are alive and not dead. It also means through you life comes. It means every application that you can think of of the mother of the living. The mother of the living one. The mother of all of the living. The mother of life. All of those things. Because Adam heard the promise. Death's come. Now through my wife, the very one who transgressed, through my wife is going to come the instrument that brings life to everyone. Now we focus on that being Jesus, a man. This is why the gospel's in perfect harmony and balance. Salvation came through a man. But man's not independent of woman because that man came through a woman. So are you just a mother? Well, (laughs) yeah. And it's the highest calling that there could ever be. And it's why it's denigrated and spoken poorly of in our time. As, (laughs) you mean you don't have a career? You know, your husband makes you stay home and keep the kids? You know, like something is wrong with you. This is our very hope of salvation, that women would produce life. In their offspring. Indeed, when you examine the patriarchs, when you look at why they were chosen and who they were, Genesis 18 says he chose Abraham and his family because they would teach their children what was right. Because this entire salvation that we cling to, it doesn't just depend upon Jesus on a cross. It doesn't just depend upon the fact that he rose from the dead showing he had the power of life. It depends upon the fact that he affects families in such a way that mothers give birth to children that are life. Not alive, but are life. And it completes His body. We're only halfway there. That's why we're in the process of being saved. It's been said that you're saved spiritually, but you're not saved until the body of Christ is complete and you're glorified. It will never get complete if mothers don't do their job. You know, when we talk about that day or hours not known, And Jesus said that he didn't know the day or hour. Those were held in reserve. I don't know whether he knows the day or hour now. I just know we were told to pray that it doesn't take place in winter, which leads me to believe that it seems to be somewhat up in the air. (laughs) It has to do with the obedience of women who are producing godly offspring. Now, this doesn't alleviate you men of your roles in life. Your job is to be a priest in the home, to teach the whole family. But it starts with the godly mother. Don't ever let anyone look down on you for being just a mother. 
And if you've got ten kids and you spend all of your time cooking, cleaning, washing, all of those things, that is the most godly, high calling that there's ever been. That's higher than an apostle's calling, in my opinion, because the apostle would have no work to do if there were not mothers doing that. To be the mother of all the living. Can you imagine? That phrase just gets kind of thrown out as that means because she's the first mother. It doesn't. There are a lot of mothers that never give birth to life. What would have happened if there was abortion in their day? What would have happened if the 14, 16-year-old Mary, who was given a drink and a little wine and was unmarried and not economically able to support herself, had no college degree, had no plans for a career, had chosen abortion. See, our salvation hinges upon mothers being good mothers. And, hey, Proverbs 31 describes all kind of ways that a noble wife, a wife of good character, helps bring income in the household, brings her husband respect, does all kind of things. It doesn't mean that your life is limited to being a mother. It just means that it's your highest calling. It's the priority of the kingdom of God on earth to have godly mothers. That's why the promise, Genesis 3.15, is the first promise, the first redemptive promise in all of the Bible, and it refers to salvation coming in a man that came through a woman. You know, what a high calling. But have you ever heard anybody espouse that? Ever? Ever anybody talk about why motherhood is the linchpin, the cornerstone of salvation? No, it's because it's not understood. And not only is it not understood, it's thought of as if because you guys are changing diapers sometimes, like, like you're not doing anything productive. What if those diapers you're changing are of one of the two end-time prophets that calls down fire from heaven and torments the earth in the book of Revelation? What if you're like Yachbed and you've given birth to no ordinary child and he causes all of Israel to be saved out from under Egypt? You know, These desires were so strong in the patriarchs that they tricked their husbands into giving them children. That they competed with one another, not because, you know, guys think, oh man, he had multiple wives. They were all competing. They were, they were adversaries. What a good position for the guy to be in. And, you know, uh, what an ego trip he must have been. You know why they competed? It had nothing to do with the guy. It, it was not just because they wanted his affection. Yeah, that's a shallow guy thought, isn't it? You know? It's because they wanted his offspring. Because they knew that somebody, some lucky lottery winner, was going to give birth to the Messiah. Except it wasn't by lottery. It was by family line. And they weren't sure which family line it was coming through. But when they had a clue that they might be in it, they resorted, resorted to trickery. You think of Judah and Tamar. Does anybody in here know that story? She went through a couple of his kids. Knowing that the promise that the staff would not depart from the house of Judah until the one came to whom it was promised. Speaking of the Messiah, I assure you the line of Judah knew that. Now, Joseph's line may have also thought that they were going to produce the Messiah. You know, they were rival factions. But Tamar knew it, and she wanted to be the one that produced the Messiah. And so, when her husband died, she waited for another one of the Judah sons to raise up. And when he did a wicked thing and God killed him, she tricked Judah into siring a child with her. You think, golly, you know, was, was she that bad off that she had to sleep with some old guy? You know, could she just not find a good husband? Oh, did she have such low self-esteem that she humiliated herself by uh, resorting to prostitution? Now, all of those thoughts could go through. You know why she did it? You know what motivated her? Because the single most important thing she realized was that salvation would come to all of mankind through a mother of the living. And you know what? You can look back there on that wall and see the chain from Eve all the way through Jesus. And you know whose name is in it? Tamar. If she was alive today, the women's lib movement would have burned her. You know? She would have been thought of as weak. She would have been thought of as... Uh, a backwards, uh, oppressed, and she made it into the lineage of Christ and is one of the women 
of some 70 generations of women that produced the Messiah. What an awesome thing. Do you think she could find self-worth in that? Do you think she has a special place in the kingdom of God being in the lineage of the Messiah? Do you think that the world owes her some small debt? But she was just a mother and a single mother at that. Could have been married three times. What the world looks at as a failure, the kingdom sees as great success. What the world will not esteem, God esteems highly. What goes unhonored, in fact, even dishonored in the world, is the very thing that God Himself honors. We need to renovate our thinking. As husbands, on not just Mother's Day, but every day, we need to look at our wives as the vehicle that God is using to bring salvation to mankind. Say, God, that sounds blasphemous. Well, not if you understand it in the context that I mean it. They can't be... A salvation cannot be the kingdom of God on earth until the body of Christ is completed. It only gets completed as the godly have godly offspring. Micah says that the thing God is after, I'm sorry, Malachi, the thing God is after is godly offspring. That doesn't happen without godly mothers. And I'm thankful that we have godly mothers here. I want to tell you that's the highest ideal you could have in life. People exchange that for a BMW. They'll exchange that for a fur. For social status of belonging to a country club. They'll exchange that for a career. Well, I've met those women. They're not happy in their careers. You need to find your identity, those of you that are mothers, in being a mother. You need to see it as the highest calling that there is because it is. Husbands, you need to reverence your wives for it. All generations call Mary blessed because she had a unique child. Our children are no less unique in that they are a part of that child. They're members of the body of Christ. I would love to say that I have a 50-50 role in raising my children. And theoretically I do because my wife and I are one. But the reality is my wife spends twice the time that I do with them. That all of the Real intense loving and nurturing that forms and shapes them comes through her. At best, I get to add something to it. But when it's all said and done, because of the way that people look at this through the wrong color glasses, people will say, there goes Eric's son. You know, he'll carry my last name, not hers. All of the, and her last names become mine, but you understand what I'm saying. Even in the genealogies in the Bible sometimes, they just list the men. You don't know who Samson's mother was. She's not mentioned. And yet I assure you she had a profound impact on his life. To the point that if she wasn't there, he wouldn't have been there. We need to revolutionize our thinking. The husband is the head. He's totally incomplete without the wife. Salvation cannot occur without godly mothers being godly mothers. Jesus is here. That's true. Now we have to finish his work. And that is why the Scripture says women are saved in the same hope that Eve was. Same exact hope. She was just looking forward to the Messiah. We're looking forward to completing it. This is not a low calling. That's why adoption is a high calling. If you're barren, that desire didn't go away. It's not gone. It doesn't mean you don't have that role. It just means you get to mother someone else's kids. Someone that didn't see value in it. Well, that's awesome. Beauty from ashes. These people were given the curse that fell on mankind. And Adam saw something beautiful in it. And Eve did too. So that when their first children were born, they were hopeful. And with every generation of successive children, they were hopeful. And that went on and on and on from Cain to Abel. From Enoch and Methuselah. You know, we always say, well, Enoch's son was Methuselah, and Methuselah's name meant when I die, judgment comes, and that this preceded the flood. You Do you ever even think that Methuselah had a mother and she raised him? Enoch didn't even get saved until he was 65. Maybe it was the mother that was godly. We know in the New Testament, you, you don't ever hear Timothy's father mentioned, do you? But you know who his mother and grandmother were, don't you? And they were women of faith. Did it have an effect in Timothy? Paul said they planted it in Timothy. 
How about Ham, Shem, and Japheth? You don't know who their wives were, but they were responsible for the repopulation of the earth because they were mothers. How about Abraham and Sarah? Abraham's name meant exalted father, and it was changed to father of many nations. But Sarah had a little name change too. And without Sarah, there would be no Isaac and there would be no Ishmael. The promise never could have occurred. How about Isaac and Rebekah? You know, this woman whose calling was to produce two nations, tens of thousands of children, she was declared to be the mother of. Did you know that the Bible said that? She was the mother of tens of thousands of children. You know how that happened? Because her two children, that she had wisdom and insight into their lives, and guess who didn't? The father. He was blind. He didn't understand his children. He favored one child. She favored the other. And you know who was right? She was. Now, she honored her husband. She did some things that I don't think she should have done, but God used it for good. She saw the favor of God on the younger and not the older. Had it not been for her godly insight as a mother, we might all not have national promises, not be grafted into Israel. Esau might have gotten that blessing. For worship today, we would have gotten together in red hairy garments and killed some game and eaten bean stew. Moving on from there, how about Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Zilpah and Bela? Their children changed the world. Do you think that Bela and Zilpah and Leah and Rachel were just solely competing for the affection of their husband? That was important, but why was it important? Why, why did one give the other mandrakes to spend the night with the husband? Was it because she was so physically attracted to the husband that she just couldn't stand it? Come on, all of us guys know better than that. Was it because she was unable to control her urges? Is that why she was willing to sell uh, produce that would keep her alive for a night with the husband? Surely it's not. They were all competing to bring about the Messiah. They wanted to be in the line of the mother of the living. You know what's important about that? What they competed for, you are in. Jesus is in you. And when you have children, you're part of the mother of the living. It's no longer chance. It's absolute reality. All you have to do is raise them in Christ. We already covered Judah and Tamar. How about Amram and Yachbeb? Produced Moses. How about Shifra and Puah? Two women that were not... Everybody laughs when I say Pua. And yet she's a superstar in the kingdom of God. Had it not been for the motherly instincts in Shifra and Pua, the desire to be called to be the mother of the living, had it not been for their compassion, their mercy, Moses never would have lived. The prophet that foreshadowed Jesus. Israel might not have been preserved as a nation. It would have been swallowed up in Egypt. Manoah and his nameless wife produced Samson. David and Bathsheba. And it goes on and on and on until we get to Luke. Turn to Luke 1. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Can you think of any other religion in the world? Where God Himself sends an angel to proclaim that kind of message to a woman? Can you think of how bold the Bible is for its day? A time period where women are, are little more than property? That the Bible's making the claim that the same God that created the heavens and the earth and the universe and everything in it is showing up to an unmarried, unaccomplished woman and said, Hey, baby, I'm with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Had Mary healed anybody? No. She'd been out preaching to the nations? No. She in a king's palace rendering decisions? Was she the head of her household? She earned a bunch of money and give it to the temple? So what did she do that found favor with God? She possessed an attitude that God liked, and you'll see it. It comes out. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. You know, I wonder what she must have thought. It's not that the name Jesus was unique. There have been other people in history named Jesus. In the southern part of Houston, you know, half of the population is named Jesus. Jesus was the same word as Joshua. It was fairly common in Israel. What was uncommon about the angel telling her to name her child Jesus? It's not a family name. You named your children something from your family to carry on the family name, the family line. This was not a part of her family line. So what did that mean to her? What does Jesus mean? Yahweh's means of salvation. Yahweh saves. So this woman who's never had sex with a man, hears the words from an angel. You're going to be with child and you're going to name him Yahweh's salvation. Where do you think her mind went? She knew the scriptures from youth. She'd been pleasing to God, so she was aware of the promises of God. She immediately knew. He was talking about her becoming the mother of all mothers, the mother of the living. The promise that was given to Eve passed all the way down through Eve's children to Mary. After 4,000 years of struggle and pain and literal labor, that promise didn't come to a man. That honor did not fall on a man. It fell on a woman. It was her mother's day. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You know what's unique about that? Bathsheba endured the killing of a husband, the death of a baby, to carry on the line of David that the Messiah would come through. All of the mothers, whether it was Tamar or all the way back, had endured tremendous things to be in the line. And here Mary is, just a young woman with the right heart and the right attitude, and the fulfillment of the promise falls on her. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. How did Mary respond? Why did God choose Mary? I am the Lord's servant, Mary, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. On this day when we honor mothers, the thing that we should be honoring is when a woman sees her role as the mother of the living and despite its consequence, because it's servanthood in the highest order, it's denying of your every desire and pouring your life into someone else. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Your heart cries out, may it be to me as the Lord wills. That is the heart of a mother. That's what Eve did. That's what all of the godly women... You know why Sarah is, is blessed for calling her husband master? It's not because her husband was uh, great and she was lowly. It's because she said, May it be done to me as the Lord wills. She knew that her husband had received the promise and that she would give birth to the one who would birth a nation. Your heart needs to cry out, may it be to me as you have said. We're going to look at one more thing in Luke and then we're going to close.
Luke 2, starting in verse 21. When she said, may it be to me, why might she not have wanted this? If this was an honor, if this was the greatest honor that had ever befallen any woman, why would she not want it? Why would it be disgraceful? Because she wasn't married yet. What else might it mean? She's unfaithful. What else would it mean about Mary's life? It would mean the same thing that it means to all of you mothers. There are some that will look down on you for it. There are some dreams that you may have had that you don't see fulfilled because you're working to see your children's dreams fulfilled. may mean that your body doesn't look the way that it used to look. It may mean that you suffer many things. See, Mary faced everything that you guys face. Unpopular in her society. Could be considered disgraceful. Maybe it meant that she had to give up some economic security. I mean, we see Jesus in a manger right after this. We see Him running for their lives right after this. She had every reason in the world to say, pick somebody else. I'd rather be a corporate executive. Pick someone else. I'd rather help pay for a bigger house. Pick someone else. I would rather. But she realized this was the highest calling. The same thing that you mothers have done. You have forsaken your desires, your dreams, and you have taken on God's desires for you that you be godly mothers. See, I'm not saying this as like a consolation. I'm saying it with a certain amount of envy. If you've ever looked at your husband and said, why does he get to make all the decisions? What's his role? It's his calling. If you've ever been jealous of that, something a husband could be jealous of is, wow, you ladies are honored above everything. A guy's job was to work the soil, to bring in food. That was about it. The woman got to bring forth the method of salvation. So who was honored more? See, God brought equality in this situation. Neither one was independent of the other. Now, this is an awesome Awesome thing. I may stand up and preach to thousands one day, or it may be just ten. And maybe those ten will preach to I don't know. That's the vision that's birthed in my heart is to achieve that calling. You know what I will never do? I'll never be that instrument that life comes through actually producing these babies. I'll never know the bond that a mother has with a child. Never. You know, I have to work for my children's affection. You fathers can relate to that. It comes natural for them with Jennifer. I have to work to establish that bond. It's already there on a God-given basis with Jennifer. You ladies are honored in every way. And remember this. If you want to be first in the kingdom, what do you do? Serve the least. What is a higher order of service that you could possibly think of than being the mother of the living, laying down your dreams, your visions, and pouring your entire life into another generation of people? Is it any, any coincidence then that in our day the devil's brought such shame and disgrace upon this? That if you're not driving a 740 series BMW, if you don't have a certain business attire dress on, you don't have the right rings on, somehow you're a failure... You're clinging to an archaic idea. Your husband's lording over you like a caveman dragging you around the house, just causing you to produce babies. You know, is that not the way women are thought of right now? That comes straight from hell. Now, I want to clarify this. I'm not saying women can't work, can't bring in income. Can't. Proverbs 31 says a good wife does all of those things. I told my wife she never looked more attractive to me than last night. You know why? She found a way to make 400 and something dollars and she took me out on a date. You know, that was awesome. I'm all for everybody pitching in and your joint calling because you are one human being. Two halves of the same human being. But you need to view motherhood as your very first priority and calling in life. You need to be like Mary. Stretch marks all over your body, you know. Felt like you were torn from one side to the other. You back hurts from labor. You know, you got children hanging off you all the time, wanting food. When they don't want food, they're running around with little diapers full. And, you know, you think, is this all I'm 
destined for in life? Is this as good as it gets? Yes, it is as good as it gets because when you serve the least, you are elevated to the highest position in the life to come. We automatically think of people like Paul at the top of the upper echelon in the kingdom to come. And you know what Paul was never able to do? What you ladies are already doing. You know, it's true. The twelve apostles sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes. But you know what none of them ever did? Bring forth children into the world in the way that y'all do. They don't get to complete the body of Christ like that. This is a high calling. Find value in your functional role. You were just a woman until you had children. But once you had children, you became the mother of the living. Find your identity in that. And you know what? You've, you've seen this attitude. Everybody knows who Amarosa is, right? A strong black woman. Right? That's this, that's this idea that is portrayed. And right now, that's not just a black thing. It's uh, all of the races. You are a... Uh, anything a man can do, I can do better. That kind of attitude. Right? That, that's pervasive all, all over our country. You know what your attitude needs to be? I'm a mother. And I'm the mother of the living. And you need to walk with your head held high about it. And when you walk next to somebody that's got silicone all in their body, and they're living for this life's pleasures, and they disdain the fact that you have had a couple kids, and maybe they're making too much noise while Miss Pris is drinking her latte, or whatever it is, You need to rejoice in that high calling because the Bible honors you in a way that no other religion in the world has honored you. It's awesome. In Luke 2, verse 21, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to Yahweh and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What does Christ mean? The anointed one. Now, we have thought of that as, oh, that's Jesus. He's the anointed one. You may have thought of it as the anointed body, that we are Christ. You know what it means if you're a mother, though? The anointed child that was to come. The one who would come to crush the head of the enemy. They were all waiting, and it had been revealed to Simeon that he wouldn't die until he saw the anointed baby that would come out of a woman and crush the head of the enemy. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, to, child Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Who did he say it to? Why? Both parents are there. Why say it to Mary? Because Mary's fulfilling the role of Eve here. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. See, if Mary didn't have the attitude that said, yeah, may it be to me as you have said, Lord, even if she could have birthed the baby, she could have never let God's will be done in his life. She didn't just give up her dreams and her hopes to have the baby. It was a process her whole life. She even had to give up her dreams for the baby and take up God's dreams for him. Motherhood is the most selfless thing you could ever do. And it's why it is so despised. It's why people hate it. It's why it's thought of as lesser. Because it makes them feel better to not participate in it. It's why instead of people having 10 kids and 12 kids, 
People are having 1.2 now. And then they're only doing that when they're in their mid-30s and uh, they have their life the way they want it. I saw a show the other day where a woman aborted her child because she felt like it was too big a sacrifice to make that she was going to have to drop out of school. She had already done it for one... She was in college. She had already done it once and she was not going to give up her dream again. That's repulsive to us, isn't it? But it's becoming absolutely common thought. There was also a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town in Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Turn to Psalm 113 and we're going to close. This is not a multifaceted message. It's pretty much one-dimensional. And it is that motherhood is a high calling. Something that should be rejoiced and celebrated in. Something that men and women alike should revere, look forward to, and women should aspire to. It's not a curse. It's not something that's bad that's robbing you of your dreams. It's something that's fulfilling God's will on earth. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, let the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the heap of ashes. He seats them with princes and with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. When we're talking about He gives you beauty for ashes... In a mother's life, the way that that works is the Lord who is praised forever, who sits on throned on high, looking at the circle of the earth from His heavens, sees a woman, offer Him her ashes, her burned up dreams that she had for her independent life, and He gives you something beautiful for it. He gives the barren woman children to raise so that her identity, her calling, her purpose in life can be expressed in the success of her children in a way that only a mother gets to experience. She becomes the mother of the living and they will have a unique place in the kingdom of God. One that no man will ever obtain or achieve. We'll all have the rights of sons. We'll be like firstborn sons. We'll inherit the double portion of the Father in the kingdom to come. There may be a thousand people that can preach. There may be Women can preach, prophesy, raise the dead, do all the things that men can do. But women can do something a man can't do. And that's be the mother of the living and carry on the promise of salvation from generation to generation. It's a high calling. And we need to honor them. Call your mothers today who are responsible for you being here. You need to let them know that you are the fruit of their life. I tell my mother I'm the first fruit of her salvation. So what on earth does that mean? She was the first one in her family that began to long for the Lord. She wasn't saved yet, but because she began to long for the Lord, He gave her a child. And I got saved, told her about it, and she got saved. But it was the product of her longing for the Lord and wanting to do the very basic thing that is ingrained in all women, become a mother. And He gave her the desire of her heart. And it worked out to save me and her and has spread to many other people's lives. Y'all stand up, we'll pray.